Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. All month long we're going in depth to learn the science behind different medical conditions. Today we're answering all your top questions about Alzheimer's disease. It's estimated more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's. By the year 2050, this number is projected to rise to nearly 13 million people. Joining us to discuss this is Deanna Jim, a district medical group nurse practitioner. She currently works at the outpatient neurology clinic at the Valleywise Comprehensive Health Center, Peoria. Deanna, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate your time. You know, as we talk about Alzheimer's, what does that mean? What is Alzheimer's disease? Alzheimer's is one type of dementia. It's a very specific type of dementia. Dementia is this overall group of different types of memory loss, different types of atrophy of the brain affecting different areas. And Alzheimer's is the most common. 80% of most dementias that are diagnosed are Alzheimer's disease. When we talk about Alzheimer's and we talk about dementia, we often think that this is a disease that just affects the elderly. Does it just affect the elderly or can it affect anybody? It can affect anybody. It's very rare to affect someone younger than the age of 65, but the majority of the people who are diagnosed who start showing symptoms of an Alzheimer's, they're usually in their 60s to 70s. The older the person, the more likely they are to have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. By the time someone's 85 years old, 50% of the people, the population are gonna have some sort of Alzheimer's disease. That's interesting. So what is the difference? You know, you, we've talked about Alzheimer's and dementia kind of being similar to each other. How do neurologists and clinicians such as yourself differentiate between the two? Alzheimer's affects different parts of a person's ability to think, to remember, to learn things. There is a vascular dementia that comes mostly from different types of diseases of the blood vessels. Someone has high blood pressure, strokes, things along those lines. There's also frontotemporal dementia, lots of different things, but Alzheimer's specifically is a progressive problem with the memory that really starts with the short-term memory and affects someone's ability to do their activities of daily living, cooking, dressing, cleaning, bathing. They forget how to do those what we would consider to be simple tasks over a period of time. In addition to that, part of the brain does atrophy. It gets smaller with time as this disease does progress. When we talk about that progression and we talk about those symptoms, so as we get older, you say, you know, we start to experience some memory loss. How do we know, is this short-term memory loss Alzheimer's and then how long does it take 
to progress into some of those severe symptoms where, to your point, we start to lose some of that ability to remember to do those simple tasks of daily living. There is a thing called benign short-term memory loss, and that happens to pretty much everybody as we get older, including me. You get up and you walk into a room and you forgot what you went in there for. But in minutes you remember what it is. Oh yeah, I was gonna go to the kitchen, I was gonna go to the bathroom. But something like an Alzheimer's, you literally forget where the bathroom is. You walk outside and nothing looks familiar and you get lost going to the grocery store or you forget how to get home and you need assistance. Benign memory loss is an everyday type of thing. It does not progress. It happens, it could happen daily, but it's the Alzheimer's, the dementia, it gets worse and worse with time. People are forgetting more and more of things. And family members start to notice, well, she asked me that same question 10 minutes ago. It's always striking to me as we see individuals that are suffering from memory loss, cognitive type, you know, decline and function in Alzheimer's, just how long and how long this may take. And it's just truly variable in what we're seeing in our individual patients of how this disease might progress in individuals. Exactly. The average from the time someone is diagnosed to severe memory loss to where it's affecting the ADLs is anywhere from 10 to 15 years. During that time frame, people are forgetting different things and as they progress, things are more and more difficult and the, the patient, the person needs more and more assistance. But that, that, again, that could be up to 15 years. If you're just tuning in, we're talking all about Alzheimer's. Valleywise Health offers exceptional care at over a dozen locations across Maricopa County. If you need medical care or have questions for one of our physicians, please visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. So what are some of the early signs? We've talked a little bit about some of this benign forgetfulness, but what are some of the other early signs that we may be concerned that we're seeing in maybe one of our aged loved ones that may represent Alzheimer's disease? Some of the early signs, there are several stages of Alzheimer's. The first couple of stages, just short-term memory loss. Where did I put the keys? And then that progresses to, did I take a shower this morning? Did I eat? It can actually manifest as a little bit of depression, a little bit of frustration. Well, I told you what that was. Well, no, you didn't because they forgot that someone had already reminded them. Difficulty with planning and organizing something that has complex steps in it like cooking or doing the laundry you have to remember to put the detergent and then turn the machine on and things like that something that has multi-steps those get more and more difficult for the person who's starting to develop some signs of Alzheimer's. You know, we talked a little bit early on there. You said we start to see some causes of various types of dementia. You know, as a, as a vascular person myself, you know, I'm most familiar with those conditions that affect people's vasculature, which mm -hmm. causes dementia or their heart rhythms being abnormal and they get strokes that can cause dementia. Mm -hmm. What are some of the causes that we've identified around Alzheimer's disease? There are theories, no one really knows 100% what Alzheimer's and how it starts. There's different types of theories, beta amyloid plaques, the plaques build up in the brain and those plaques cause death, 
cause atrophy. We can see the atrophy, the brain actually shrinking after a patient with Alzheimer's has died. There has been some research on that. Their brains do look very, very different on an MRI or on a CT scan after they've had the disease for quite some time. So we, we really don't know exactly what causes it. And we continue to learn a lot of this. So when, you know, when it's difficult to understand what causes it, how do clinicians such as yourself diagnose someone if we don't know what's truly causing the disease? There's a couple of different ways. We actually have uh, an interaction with the patient. We talk with the patient. We also have an interaction with the family to find out the family and outside perspective. There are several tests that we use to help us identify if this is an Alzheimer's or if this is something else. Um, we would do an MRI, see what the volume is, the size of it, are there areas of the brain that are shrinking faster than other parts of the brain. Plus, we also have different types of psychological testing that we can do. There is a very specific test, a neuropsychological test, that is very helpful. It tests a lot of domains of the brain, and it gives us a lot of information. And really, it's that comprehensive evaluation that helps us. Yes. You know, if somebody's concerned, those are the things that we need to do as a clinical team to be able to make this diagnosis. So once this diagnosis is made, what are some of the things that, you know, yourself and the rest of the clinical team may recommend to help treat Alzheimer's disease? There are a few medications that have been tried and that are supposed to help slow down the deterioration of memory loss. They slow down the disease progression, but they do not stop, they do not cure, they don't reverse what has already happened. There is a medication, the first one would be Donepazil, an Aricept. And we also have a different medicine called Namenda. Those are usually helpful in the first couple of stages to try to slow it down, but these are not meant to be long-term. They're not meant to be taken for years and years, which unfortunately is what somebody has to cope with when they have an Alzheimer's. It could be many years. Yeah, and I think that's an important aspect to this disease and this disease process is, you know, we know that this, you know, a lot of times that we can't cure this. So a lot of the treatments that are geared that we do and recommend as a clinical team are really to, is actually, as you said, is really slow that progression down. Yes. You talked a little bit about the stages. How many stages are there of Alzheimer's disease that we may see our loved ones progress through if they're diagnosed with this condition? There are officially seven stages. The first three are the very beginning stages where people are forgetting some, some small things, forgetting, you know, to lock the front door, things along those lines. Stage four and five, they're starting to forget their personal history. They're starting to forget, wow, I didn't realize I had five grandchildren. I only remember three because the last two, they forgot things along those lines. And then stage six and seven is the advance. That's where they're literally forgetting how to walk, how to dress, how to do basic things that say a toddler would be able to do. Nurse practitioner Deanna Jim is answering your top questions about Alzheimer's. 
You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at ValleyWise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the Book Appointment button. We've talked that there's not been a cure for this, but are there things that we can do if we start to suggest symptoms that may help us prevent Alzheimer's disease? And what I'm thinking about is specifically, are there things that we can do exercise-wise, diet-wise? We certainly hear a lot about you know keeping our brains more active. Um, are there things that we can do to manage this? Yes, the biggest thing that that we try to tell a lot of our families is to control any chronic medical problems that the person might already have. If they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, please try to keep those as well controlled because then that reduces the risk of something bad happening in the brain. Now, once those are controlled, then we start keeping the brain as active as possible reading, listening to music, looking at pictures, staying well hydrated, especially here in Phoenix during the summer. We have to stay hydrated. Regular follow-ups with your primary care provider can also help pick up some of those early signs that might warrant some special attention by a neurologist. So, you know, we've talked a lot about Alzheimer's, and one of the questions I didn't ask is, is this disease hereditary, or how does this occur in somebody? Is it just something that happens, or are there things outside of the vascular disease we talked about? Are there other things that cause this? Alzheimer's does have a tendency to run in families, but that doesn't necessarily mean if grandma had Alzheimer's, all of the grandkids are going to get it. That is not the case. It runs in families, but depending on the person's metabolism, any type of medical problems they may have, their different types of education can actually ward off or prevent someone from developing an Alzheimer's early and may later manifest as Alzheimer's when they're in their 80s or 90s. Is there any predilection that one sex in gender is more affected than others? Does this affect men greater than women or is it equal across both? Most of the time it is in females, but women do have a tendency to live a little longer. So the older women do have a tendency to get Alzheimer's, but it affects men and women of all ages past the age of 60. How can we support those and support our family members that we may have been diagnosed from this? You know, outside of the medications that we've discussed a a little while ago that may slow the progression, are there other things that we can do as a family unit and a clinical support team to maybe be able to help our patients that may be diagnosed with this? One of the big things that I try to help with my families is the family members really have a difficult time understanding, well, I, she looks the same, but her memory is not there. And they keep reminding and reminding and the patient and the family do have a tendency to kind of go at odds. I just told you that, I just told you that. Almost like a blaming uh, scenario. And one thing that everybody needs to remember, the patient, the person who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, they're doing the best that they can with what they have. And to try to understand that they're really not doing any of these behaviors on purpose. They just honestly, truly forgot that 
they did not close the front door and trying to yell or trying to punish them like a child is definitely not something we would recommend. There are different types of daycare for adults. We have our social workers here in the clinic. They have numerous resources that they can help families, not only in English, but I do know that one of our social workers has a very long list of Spanish resources for different families. And I think that's a huge piece. You know, Alzheimer's really just has a tremendous impact, not only on the patient, as we've been describing, but their true, their families and their support systems. And having those resources available to support the families is truly one of the keys to help these individuals and and help provide support to this. Yes. As we've talked about, you know, we see the number of patients that we diagnose with dementia and Alzheimer's disease continuing to increase. What are some of the reasons that we are starting to see an increase in the number of Alzheimer's disease patients? People are living longer. People, you know, 100 years ago, people weren't living into their 90s. We have medical advances nowadays where somebody is able to live into their 80s and 90s. They may be on multiple medications for different organ failure, different medical diagnoses, but they're living longer. And that's how we're seeing a lot more people being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. We've seen a lot of patients as they get into these some of the more severe states and things like that, Mm -hmm. not able to live at home. How does that environment play a role in the treatment around it? Is it better to be in a supportive environment surrounded by those that, you know, of your family? Is it better in some of these more specialized care areas around it? What helps us as clinicians be able to recommend the right environment for these Right. Every patient, every family is different. Um, Some families and even some patients really want to stay home. And we have different things that we can do to help them stay at home. We try to uh, help them with security, making sure that there are no wires on the floor, the doors are locked to make sure that that person is safe. There are families, there are patients that just are not able stay at home because it is a 24-7 job caring for someone who has Alzheimer's, especially in the late stages. Someone needs to be there every minute watching them and making sure that they're okay. And some families are able to do that with extended families. There are some families that, that just can't. And there are very nice, very professional Uh, facilities where someone can go and be cared for as a person and maintain some individuality. Family can come and visit or take the person out for the day and still have family time. Today we're visiting with Deanna Jim, a district medical group nurse practitioner uh, with our neurology team all about Alzheimer's. As we think about, and we think about folks as they're progressing through this, how does Alzheimer's then affect the individual's ability to sleep? You know, one of those things we hear and we hear a lot about is, you know, we get more concerned that our elderly loved one, to your earlier comments, may start to get lost or start to wander. How does this affect people's sleep patterns around this in this disease? It has a huge impact on their sleep. Sometimes in the later stages, the patient with Alzheimer's um, 
can get very paranoid. They have mood swings. Sometimes they have hallucinations. They're seeing children or they're seeing different people. And it kind of affects them because they don't want to go to sleep. They're afraid to go to sleep. They're afraid what's going to happen to them when they wake up because they don't know what is what is going on. Um, there are different uh, medications that we can use with a family's permission that will help calm down somebody to help them sleep. But we don't, we don't, trying to figure out, we don't want to over sedate someone. We don't want someone, you know, to be a zombie. We definitely want them to be able to enjoy their last years on earth with their family but sleep is a big factor someone doesn't sleep and they're going to be tired the next day their memory is going to be even worse they're going to be even a little more moody um, so we do try to help with that as the disease does progress is there any role as the disease progresses? and as you noticed you know we start to see changes in personality we start to see changes in people's ability to process things is there a role for you know our behavioral health providers in psychiatry you know that may be able to help with some of these things again to, to kind of minimize the impact that this devastating disease may have on an individual we try to partner with our behavioral health um, we have psychologists and psychiatrists that we work with because some of these behaviors can be very upsetting to the family. Um, the patient also sometimes may not realize that they're actually having these angry or aggressive behaviors, but the family is very, very concerned. So not only do we use our psychologists and our behavioral health providers for the patient, we also try to get the families involved as well. You know, we talked a lot about the resources. Are there any local or national organizations where people can go to get more information around, you know, Alzheimer's and resources that may be available outside of those, you know, within the medical care team that we may provide, such as Valleywise Health? One of, the, one of the big ones is the Alzheimer's Association. They do have a website. It is in English and it is in Spanish. Um, their website is alz.org. The National Institute of Health, the National Institute on Aging, um, also has a lot of information, not only on Alzheimer's, but it also has different types of information for the caregivers, the families themselves. That website is also in English and in Spanish. And the Arion Aging has the senior helpline where a family member or a patient, if they're in the earlier stages, can call 24-7 to ask questions to find out where do we go from here. Yeah, as we kind of end our time here this morning, are there things that we should be watching out for, things that we can do to help support our, our loved ones as they're getting older, um, if we're concerned about them, you know, maybe developing dementia or even into Alzheimer's disease? Right. Definitely make sure that they are seeing their primary care provider on a regular basis. That your primary care provider is going to be the number one starting point. If you have questions, please ask your primary care, whether it be a nurse practitioner or a physician, they have the ability to start asking more questions. Um, one of the things is if you don't know 
what is going on, please ask. That's that's one of our big things. Ask, ask your provider. Go to one of these websites. And uh, one of the last things to remember is um, these patients are doing the best that they can with what they have, and it's it's not their fault. They're forgetting what's going on and to always be compassionate and caring and just kind of be there be be a loving family all the time deanna thank you so much for your time today and your knowledge around alzheimer's disease if you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again you can access all of our blogs and podcasts at valleywisehealth.org be well thank you again thank you sir have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you again soon We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash bewell. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash bewell. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.